All right, 1977, Jerry Ehrman, a, a scientist, uh, was, was tasked with the, the, the call to listen to outer space. And so he, he, is, he is now listening into outer space, into galaxies millions of miles away, and what he hears is just sound waves of nothing. And just nothing for everywhere. And he, his goal, he's trying to find out is, are we alone? Or is there alien life in this universe? And every one of us wants to know, is there? Well, in 1977, amidst having just data after data of nothing and silence, bloop, <laughs> a radio signal is sent from galaxies millions of miles away. And it's called the wow signal. Because in the moment that it happened, he writes on his paper, Wow, <laughs> He's, this is it. This is evidence. This is proof. And from like this day forward in 1977, it has been perplexing scientists for years now. Since then, no, no one's been able to replicate it or understand what it was. No one's been able to explain it away. And so the thought is someone is out there listening to us. Someone's actually communicating to us from galaxies millions of miles away. And we see this in all the sci-fi films and, and it's everyone's hope that, yes, there is alien life form. Because if so, then that means we're not alone. I'm not alone. That we're not insignificant. That there is something out there. Scientists like Albert Einstein and, and Stephen Hawking um, have also been searching, uh, but they've been searching for uh, something they call the, the theory of everything. Right? The, the theory, uh, the, the final theory, the ultimate, the master, the all-encompassing, coherent theoretical framework that uh, physics that fully explains and links together all aspects of our human life. And so just a small undertaking. Uh, let's figure out, I don't know, everything. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> bold. Um, well, well the, the preacher in, in Ecclesiastes 3 um, also sets out to do that and says, I want to understand all that there is to life. I want to understand it all. And he finds it in chapter 3, and he says, God has put eternity into man's heart. I've found the theory of everything and that God has put eternity into man's heart. And so it's saying that we have a hole in our heart that says, I need, and I need. And to give you another space image, you know what a black hole is? A black hole is where it's thought to be where, where a star finally just closes in on itself and, and it has the supernova and what's left is now this, this gravitational pull that is just sucking all this matter and life into it. And God has said he's put a black hole into our hearts that is just sucking and sucking life in and saying, fill it, please fill it. I need, I need, I need. There is eternity there. Now, opposite of black hole, um, there are some smart men who've put forth theories about wormholes. Did you know this was a science lesson today? <laughs> you know what a wormhole is? It's fascinating. It, it, it's a, a theoretical thought that if I can get from point A to point B that are millions and millions of miles away, that will take thousands of years to get to this point, what if I could bend space and time on itself and just create a wormhole because, you know, bending time is easy. You know, bending space and time itself and then just cutting right through it. Now, I don't know if this works. It hasn't yet. But I love the theory behind it. <laughs> that we could finally cut through to a world that is actually meant for us. That we could cut through to a world that we're actually created for. That, that is, that is going to fill the endless sadness. And today we can. 
Today, we're going to go through a wormhole. We're going to travel through time across worlds and galaxies to make the great eternity to understand the theory of every, everything. So please stand for our call to our reading of God's Word from Habakkuk 2, 5 through 20. This is our third sermon in this series, if you're playing along, uh, Habakkuk 2, 5 through 20. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence of the earth, to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city with iniquity, on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in, its, in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you would speak this morning. Lord, that it would be your word as we, we just read. Lord, would you make it understandable to our ears and to our hearts as we see what appears to be a very dark passage. Um, God, would you use it to speak to us in 2017 and, and the worries and cares that we have. Uh, but Lord, may we set those aside this hour to, to, to hear from you, to not be distracted by them. And so, word, uh, Lord, may your word uh, 
hit us afresh and, and convict as well as comfort us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new, um, welcome. We're glad you're here. But if, if you've, Or if you forgot where we're at in this series on Habakkuk, um, here's where we're at. Um, Habakkuk is a prophet who has seen his nation, uh, this very evil nation, do very evil things in a very evil time. It's just it, things are going bad in, in Judah. And so they're seeing violence everywhere. Uh, violence is all over. And, and, and finally, Habakkuk just starts crying out, you know, how long and why? When will you step in? And so then last week, uh, or then we, then we heard God say, well, okay, I'll, I heard your prayer. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to discipline you. And so that nation that, that is going to kill your children and it's going to stab out your eyes and make put fish hooks in your lips, there's my answer to your prayer. <laughs> um, and, and that will make you wake up to me spiritually. Now, obviously, um, Habakkuk freaks out and says, are, are you kidding me? Um, it's usually not how my prayers go. And then God responds to his outrage, though. I mean, Habakkuk is outraged, and he lashes out to God, but God responds very graciously, as we heard last week, to Habakkuk and says, here's the plan. Trust. Have faith. The righteous shall live by faith. I know things look grim, but trust me. Yes, I'm using Babylon to discipline you, but they're going to get my wrath. They're going to get their just due. And that's where we're at today. And so, so ba- Babylon and their leader, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, years later, uh, grow into power. And when King Nebuchadnezzar gets into power, he becomes drunk on his glory. He becomes drunk on his power and is, is so addicted to it. Um, verse 5 tells us a little bit about it, what will happen. It says, an arrogant man who is never at rest. He, he never has enough. And so the picture of Babylon is a picture of someone with power and who is just addicted to that power and they, they can't get enough of it. And they have to keep going and keep proving their greatness. And so Nebuchadnezzar does this. He, he builds this palace that is just is huge and it's massive and it's, it's, it's lavish. It has the, the outer wall that he spends so much time on is said to be 136 feet thick, deep. And on each brick on that outer wall, King Nebuchadnezzar had them inscribe his name on it, on every single brick, so that from now on, for the rest of eternity, everyone will know of my greatness. And so they, they, they built this wall in such a way and so deep, so they thought that no one could ever take it down, that it would, it would never fall. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls his own kingdom, he calls it, it's the marvel of mankind. Hey, he is just amused at what he's created and just pleased and tickled by it. And and remember, this is the same guy who required men to pray only to him. I mean, think of yourself as a king and saying, you are no longer allowed to pray to your God. You have to pray to me. And if you don't, I'll throw you into a fiery furnace. That's the same guy. And I I, I wonder what kind of psyche, um, what kind of things were going on in his head at that moment. Scripture doesn't go in here, but this is more just a question of, did he believe that he could answer their prayers when he did that? Like, did he, did he, did he pretend to, to, to believe his own lie? That when people did pray to him, he's, they're probably asking for more food. So yes, yes, I answered and give you more food. You know? But we don't know. But, but he, he's so drunk on his glory, he, he's making people pray to him. Well, verse 6 tells us that Babylon, when they went in, they, they didn't just go in and, and overtake a country. They went and took, and they took, and took, and took, and they take everything. Uh, and because they took and, and abused their subjects so much, he becomes now 
paranoid and starts to, to want to protect himself. And so in verse 9, it says that they set their house on high like an eagle's nest. Um, so the pride become paranoid, worrying that someone's going to come after them. Even though I have this impenetrable wall, some, something's going to happen. They become paranoid. They don't get to enjoy their, their kingdom. Uh, because it, it is, it's a house of cards that's going to be blown down easily. They look strong, but God has appointed a time for their judgment. God has appointed a time of judgment for every proud person. Proverbs tells us this. Pride comes before the, the fall. I mean, it's one of the, the sayings that Christians and non-Christians alike affirm. That pride comes before the fall, before the destruction. And so any person who sets themselves up as being untouchable will soon learn that this is not how nature works. That there will be a fall. And so then God is now pronouncing these five woes on Babylon. So this passage is, is, re- is really just a picture of these five woes. And a woe is like a taunt from God. It's like a ha, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's, a, it's a taunt of death. Like, oh, you think you're a big guy, Babylon. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Those you plundered are going to plunder you. The very things that you now look to, to build your enormous, beautiful palace You filled your palace with my army. Even the rocks and the trees will cry out against you. Which is very interesting. That God and the Bible here, we like to think of um, God and, and the Bible not being so cared or concerned about the environment. And verse 17 tells us, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. Lebanon is the great forest that, that, that they would use to, to, um, to build the, the castle, the kingdoms of God, right? It's this beautiful, and then all these kingdoms saw this beautiful forest and would go in there, and they, they destroy it, including Babylon here. And it's fascinating that God actually cares about the environment. We like to think only liberals say hurting the environment is a sin, <laughs> and, and conservatives say sex outside of marriage is a sin. Well, the Bible actually says both right here in this passage. That God is saying, those very trees and those very animals that you've hurt are going to be a part of your undoing. And so in their pride, Babylon wants to celebrate. They want to celebrate their glory and their, how awesome they were. And they have one of the most memorable scenes in all of Scripture. You know, there's a the woe to Babylon that you get others drunk with the purpose of taking advantage of them. A very uncomfortable passage in there. Some years in the future, um, when, the, when this prophecy is, is being fulfilled, King Nebuchadnezzar had a son. His name was Belshazzar. Really cool name. Um, Belshazzar was king, and while king, he had one of the biggest drunken parties in the history of the world. Like, one of the, the biggest drunken orgies ever to exist they, they go into this great palace, and he invites thousands and thousands of people into his palace and to, to drink with the purpose of gazing on their nakedness. And they said, you know what? We don't want to just drink and drink wine. We want to drink wine out of the cups that were in God's sanctuary, that were in Yahweh's sanctuary, so that we can drink and say, in your face, and spit on you. They are reveling in their glory. And so in this, in this, this thing happening, right, there, there, there are thousands of people there, the wives, the concubines, um, this, this, what verse 15 and 16 is talking about, 
God says, okay, you like drinking from my cups? Have another one of my cups. Here's a cup of wrath. And he pours out his wrath on them. And in Daniel 5, it says when what happens at that, at that big party, all of a sudden, everyone is, is having, having the time of their lives at this party. And this floating hand starts writing on the wall of the palace. And everyone just freaks out to the point where King Belshazzar's knees are knocking, going, what is it? What is it? What is it? Someone tell me what this means. What does this mean? And so finally, they find Daniel, and Daniel interprets it for them and says, do, do you not remember your own dad? Who, King Nebuchadnezzar, the untouchable, how he thought he was so great that his name is written on all these bricks? He is an embarrassment to your family now. King Nebuchadnezzar starts losing his mind, if you don't remember that. He starts, he starts growing hair all over his body and sweating and starts thinking himself to be a beast. And he, to this day, lives in the field like a beast. He starts becoming a werewolf or something. <laughs> he just goes out in the field and thinks of himself as a beast. And that's the embarrassment. He was untouchable. And now you who think yourself untouchable are drinking from God's cups? What this message on the wall means that God has numbered your days. He's brought an end to your kingdom. You've been weighed in the balances and have found wanting. And your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And on that night, when the giant boost fest was going on, after Daniel said, this is what's going to happen, the enemy was storming the gates. That night, Darius the Mede leads the army in and kills the king. My friends, this is the story of everything. <laughs> this is the history of the world is the story of pride. The story of pride, that the story of black holes trying to be filled. You know, Cain kills Abel because his pride was hurt. Bloodshed. Empires rise and fall because of pride. Every kingdom, every power, after gaining power, thinks themselves to be so powerful, they're so untouchable, that soon they'll find out that they will be falling down so hard. They are brought down, and this is the secret of the universe. But it's also how God's actually advancing his kingdom. God is using pride to advance his kingdom, which is phenomenal. He was the one, the originator, that let Babylon raise up. And he's the one who's going to lay them to waste. So you have this, this passage that's just all these five woes, these ways of saying, like, woe is you, Babylon. Ha! And then in verse 14, you have, like, this ray of hope that seems out of place. Verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God wants us to remember that in the midst of the darkness, <laughs> that God's earth is going to cover the earth. God's glory is going to cover the earth as much as the waters cover the sea. And so Habakkuk, I raise up kingdoms and I bring them low. And in so doing, I advance my kingdom. The whole earth will be filled with the only glory that matters. And that's mine. You know what glory means when we talk about this glory here? It's another word for weightiness. So the reason that, that they said you've been weighed and found wanting is that they, they found Babylon. They said, you just don't weigh enough. Meaning you're, you're not real enough to fill the human heart's void of eternity. Babylon can't be everything for you. So in spite of your missionary efforts, my glory is going to advance. My kingdom is going to advance. 
And historian Mark Knoll says this continues to this day, which is good news for us. Uh, Mark Knoll says that, did you know that in, from the year 1900 to the year 2000, the number of Christians in Africa grow from only 10% in 1900 to almost over 50% in 2000 to the number of 360 million. That did you know that there are 17 million baptized members of the Anglican Church in Nigeria compared with 2.8 million in the United States? That there are, last Sunday, there are more Presbyterians were in church in Ghana than there were in Scotland. The origination of Presbyterianism. That God's church is on the move and moving in places we least expect and moving away away from places that we would least expect. And God's saying, I'm on the move. And so God is on the move and his glory is filling the earth. And this is the reason I feel like we can be so bold as to say, "This this is the secret of everything. This is the story of everything. Because when we look at Babylon's demise here, we don't look at these woes and rejoice over them and saying, yes. Finally, the arrogant have got it. What the problem with the world is prideful, arrogant people like that. The problem with the world is Babylon. It's superpowers. We just need everyone to be laid to waste. We don't, we don't do that because what we find from Scripture is this, like, indeniable truth. We are Babylon. That you and I are Babylon, that I'm prideful, that I'm puffed up, that I'm egotistical, that I have an inflated ego, that when I see others fall, I'm built up. When I see politicians fail, when I see college coaches fail, for some reason, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Why? Well, I'm not them. I'm not as bad as them. So for some reason, I feel better about myself. Because this is the story of the world, it's, it's because it's the bent of the human heart. I have eternity in my heart and I need something to fill it. Now, Babylon felt that neediness too. You have to know that, that there's a reason they, they went after the world like that. They felt the neediness. They felt, I need something and I'm going to fill it. And in verse 19, it says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath at all in it. And it feels like God is just saying, are you idiots? Are you dumb? You're asking this wooden thing to come alive and save you. And we want to say, yeah, that's so dumb. <laughs> that is so dumb that you would look to a wooden figurine and say, speak to me. And we would say, how dumb are they to look at a golden figurine and say, give me life. Tell me where life is. And we would say, that's idiotic. I'm glad God's laughing at you. But just because we don't have little golden figurines doesn't mean we don't have idols too, right? doesn't mean we don't bow down to them too. And usually an idol is is something that's just so silly that you make into something that's so important. And I see this all the time, and this isn't a silly example of a idol, but I I see it in Waco, I see it in Texas, I see it in our culture, and that's one of sports. Who here thinks sports is an idol? I do, it's my idol, right? We make sports an idol, and I see this to be true, and I heard Matt Chandler speak on this, and I see it to be true in my own family, in my own heart as well. Like when you go to a, when you go to a, a little league soccer game and, and, and you watch these little five, six, seven-year-olds uh, go around and they all clump together, they don't move, right? They just move like this. <laughs> but you watch that happen, and you watch a dad on the sideline saying, 
Are you kidding me? Go after the ball. What are you doing? You're not even looking. Come on, get over here and just berate his, his little son. You go, okay, sports are fun. But when it becomes more than a game, it's not fun. Something's going on there that's, that's, that's gross. Because we don't do that when we play hide-and-go-seek, right? We don't go to my house and we play hide-and-go-seek, and Knox is running around. I'm like, are you kidding? Why would you look in the closet? No one's ever in the closet. We talked about this. We practiced this. Get it right. No, sorry. I'm yelling a lot. Pastors are guilty of, but, okay, oh I should stop. <laughs> but why does it matter so much to us? Why does it matter that we win? Now, you may not have sports as an idol, but you care about winning, right? You want to win that argument. You want to win that deal. You want to win. And so why do we care so much about this? That's an important question. Have you ever asked that? Why do I care so much about that? Why does my heart get so angry when I don't get it or get so much pleasure when I do get it? Why? Because it's an idol to you. We're saying, give me life. And God is taunting us saying, can that thing give you life? It's lifeless. It's as silly as <laughs> freaking out over hide and go seek. But we have this gaping hole in our heart and we're needy and we'll say, will you fill it? And we'll ask people to fill it, right? We'll become needy people. Will you fill it? Will you, will, you, will you affirm me? And we do this in our relationships as well, very needy people. But what happens if we actually get what we want? If you actually get the thing that you're so desperately seeking to get, now you're not needy anymore. Now I have made fire, right? <laughs> I did this. I have accomplished this. I have, I have created this kingdom like if you actually got the thing that you're so aspiring toward, you, you got the recognition you wanted, now pride sets in. I have conquered, I have earned my own way, and I am Babylon. Every human heart just oscillates between these two, pride and neediness. It's like a metronome just, just clicking back and forth between pride and neediness, saying like, I'm awesome, I'm terrible, I'm great, I'm rotten. <laughs> and we know this to be true. You do this all the time. This is why on some level you say, I don't need to listen to these people. Everyone around me is an idiot. And other times you're like, gosh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> it goes back and forth between I'm awesome and I'm terrible. Like we, we see this all the time. We see it in other people. When someone is trying to tell us how awesome they are, when that one's trying to brag on their deeds, you can feel it in them. You can feel the neediness in them. They're trying to show how prideful and, and awesome they are, but you can see the neediness in it, and it sounds, it looks sad. You go, you're so desperate for this affirmation. You're so desperate for this. Why? Because our souls are broken. <laughs> I mean, do you feel that? Do you feel like your soul is broken? We know that our bodies are broken and breaking down. Some of you feel it more than others. But do you feel like your soul is broken? Like that it's not where it's supposed to be? That there is this eternity in your heart? I mean, it, if you feel like it's doing well, then you have no problems. If you feel like you're, you're, you're great, then you're not, you're, not, you're not being real with life. It's when you start being real with yourself and saying, there's a leak in my soul, and it's draining. Did you know that, that hurt people hurt people? You heard that saying before? That hurting people hurt other people? And so someone who is looking for significance and who is looking for something as good as friendship, 
will do whatever they can to push friends away. Because sometimes in their quest for this, things that they want, they start flailing in arms and it looks like slaps in the face and it looks like, like friendships break down. Because hurting people hurt people. There is this neediness and there is this desire to fill it. And it, sometimes it comes out in negative ways like that. Sometimes it comes out in negative ways like Babylon. Sometimes it comes out in positive ways. Your neediness comes out in very positive ways. You heard of, uh, have you heard of Chris Everett? Uh, she was the number one ranked tennis player in the world in her time. She won 18 grand slams and three double titles. She won a lot. And the, the reason she had this drive to win, she said in an interview, winning made me feel pretty. Why did she strive for greatness? It's to feel pretty, to feel valued. Then, then I matter. So the reason the Babylonians were burning down cities, the reason you and I do so much of what we do is to feel pretty, is to feel significant, to feel like we have worth. And Scripture is telling us it's only by His glory that you are ever filled because these empty idols will fade and fall down. The New Testament tells us that His glory, what is it? It's manifested in Jesus' face. <laughs> John 1 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. And so this is what everyone here was made for. Jesus is the glory of God. And if we have eternity in our hearts needing glory of God, I mean, saying we need Jesus. He's put eternity in our hearts, and here's the missing link. It's Jesus. He's the missing link because He can be the answer to your insignificance, to your loneliness, to your I need to feel pretty, to your need to I feel valued. He actually answers those when he says, I count you so significant that I'd be willing to die for you. You're that pretty to me. And so I'll die for you and then I'll resurrect for you. And so that we will never, ever, ever, ever be lonely again. You will always be with me. When you see the glory of God like that, when you see the glory of God in Jesus, you go, what scripture tells us to do, you be silent. And you go, wow, that's it. You stand on the, uh, the continental divide and you see mountains going on forever and something so majestic and so glorious like that. You don't stand on the mountains of the continental divide and go, I'm awesome. <laughs> Do you know how much is in my bank account? <laughs> Do you know how much weight I lost? <laughs> Do you know about me? Do you know about me? about me, me, me. No, you look on the mountains and you go, wow, and you're silent. This is what I was made for. There's something bigger and more glorious and more heavy that I'm actually can able to rejoice in. Pride is rejoicing over our glory and silence is rejoicing over his glory, saying, wow, praise you. When you meet something glorious, you realize this is what you're made for. And so all of his glory, all of his eternity, all of it was now given to you. And then when we now give glory to him, not to ourselves, we're filled. The emptiness, the eternity that's in our heart, the, the, the story of everything is now, is now answered. And that's true humility. I think sometimes we think of humility as being the opposite of pride, as saying, no, I'm a worm, I'm terrible, I'm Eeyore, woe is me. The opposite of pride is not saying, woe is me. It's just not thinking of me. It's just not thinking about myself. 
You can say, yes, Jesus, yeah, I'm a needy sinner, but Jesus died for me. I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus. There's freedom in that. Are you tired of pretending like you're awesome? That you matter? Actually matter. <laughs> Look at Jesus and how much he cares for you. The sooner or later, we're going to start realizing, I need, I need, I need. Our neediness comes slipping out. There's a great interchange by a pastor in our denomination called Steve Brown. He's also a radio host and a professor. Um, He spoke at our congregation, our denomination's national gathering, the General Assembly. And I think he spoke on maybe some controversial things. He tends to push the envelope. Um, But he he, he spoke at, at, at the General Assembly. And afterwards, a man comes up to him, and it, presumably a pastor, maybe, a, maybe an elder, comes up to him and says, you are so rude and arrogant. <laughs> you are so prideful. And Steve has this moment of pause of, what do I do? <laughs> he says, normally I would have eaten his lunch. <laughs> normally I would have just raked him over the coals and just beaten him up, you know, with words. Um, but here's how Steve responds. He says, bingo, you have read me well. He says, bingo, you have read me well, but I'm better than I was. And your heart would have been more grieved five years ago. And would it be even more grieved if you knew the whole truth about me now? I love it. That leads these two men to have this this long, hour-long conversation about Jesus. And so he said that was such a positive experience, and it was such a freeing experience when someone calls you out to not defend yourself and just say, bingo, bingo, that's me. It was such a freeing experience. He uses it all the time. And so when people come up to him and say, you're wrong, he says, bingo, I'm wrong at least 50% of the time. You're selfish. Bingo. My mother said the same thing. My wife knows it too. You're not living up to your potential. Bingo. If it's okay with you, I'm not going to live up to my potential a little while longer. (laughs) You're not fit to be a Christian. Bingo. That's why Christ died for me. There's something beautiful in that. It's, It's completely saying, my glory isn't in me. It's in Jesus. And so you can say all these insults about me, and the longer I live, the truer they are. And I can just say, bingo. But that's why Christ died for me. That is so powerful because it's his glory that fills me. It fills me to not care about what you have to say about me. Every time I defend myself, I'm Babylon. I'm defending my glory and my pride. Jesus gave up his glory for you. While we were black holes sucking in all of matter and glory for ourselves, Jesus said, I'm going to make my life not about me, but about you. And I'm going to flip the script so that you are now no longer making your life all about me. It's about Jesus. While we were black holes sucking the glory and pride, Jesus took death to give us his glory. Man, that's a beautiful thing. And so today, I want you to say bingo in your conversations a lot. I want you to say, I'm a black hole. I take everything and I make it about me. But Christ, who should have been taking everything to make it about himself, made it about me because he loves me that much. So give up the gasps for glory. You already have it. <laughs> you already have it. We don't need palaces with our walls name, with, with, with our name written on the walls. We don't need titles to feel pretty. We don't need to create wormholes to other galaxies because Christ already made a wormhole and came right to us. 
and said, I give you my glory because I love you that much. Let's pray.